to a podcast by Coffee House Magazine. Uh, we're going to be discussing coffee and tea and how we can level up potentially these hugely popular beverages. Um, I might start by getting our panel of experts to briefly introduce themselves. Hi, my name is Megan. I am the marketing coordinator at Victoria Arduino. Um, we're here today in our showroom in Camden. Hi, my name's Tim. I'm the founder of United Baristas. Um, we connect the coffee community in all sorts of ways. And I guess baristas also make tea as well. And maybe more personally, um, I also used to have some coffee shops. So I've got a good sense of both how coffee and tea are served um, in retail. And hi there, I'm Annabelle Kalmar. I'm the director of Tea Rebellion. And Tea Rebellion um, helps tea lovers to get their hands on really good tea while making a lasting impact through partnerships with farmers. Um, my background's in agriculture, and I'm really passionate about sustainability and the food industry and any change related to it. Hello, I'm David Veal, formerly Executive Director of the Speciality Coffee Association of Europe, and now Executive Director of the European Speciality Tea Association. Okay, so I might start with you, David. Um, our discussion is very firmly focused on tea and coffee consumption outside the home, but could you briefly explain our cultural uh, affinity with tea and coffee in Britain? Um, okay, well, um, globally, um, coffee, uh, the coffee history and culture goes back maybe a few centuries. Uh, globally, tea culture and consumption goes back a few millennia. Um, in the UK, coffee was here first in the 16th century. Um, was um, uh, culturally uh, was a, a big hit amongst uh, the uh, uh, the society in London, particularly. Um, had a very very short period of ascendance, and then primarily due to um, the um, uh, the influences from the uh, the, the empire, uh, tea started coming along and uh, became very very popular and very quickly uh, overshadowed um, uh, coffee. If you then Wind forward 200 years to this century, or sorry, the, just the end of the last century, um, there was an explosion um, of uh, a new coffee culture. And um, because uh, England in those 200 years and Britain in those 200 years had been uh, a tea drinking country, uh, there was a blank page for coffee in this country. And so there's been um, a fantastic um uh, a fantastic move for speciality coffee, particularly not only in this country, but around the world. And um, that's where we were up to a few years ago. Tea, thankfully, is making a comeback culturally and in other ways as well. And we're now seeing um, uh, an increase in the popularity of speciality tea as well. Okay. So, Tim, um, recent surveys have suggested that coffee is perhaps nudging ahead of tea in terms of popularity. Can you give us some idea of why? How how has this happened? Is it young people? Is it the is it the caffeine buzz? What is it? I think if you um, look at the drinks, you might say they're quite similar because they're both hot drinks that are maybe served out of home, but you, they actually occupy really different places in the popular conception. So coffee is a drink that people turn to for optimism. So it's the drink that you have at the start of the day, or you've got a tricky meeting with your boss, or you need to do a task at work. You think. I'm going to go get a coffee because it's going to energize me. Tea has sort of had a different place in the, in the popular imagination. It's become about like withdrawing into yourself or taking a moment of solitude or taking a moment to refresh. And we're just in this time that we've been in, that energy that has been within coffee has been really popular and has really met the market. And so we're at an interesting point where I think 
people are saying what type of what type of purpose do I want when I when I buy my drink as well as what are the flavors within this particular beverage. Okay. But despite that shift, surveys also show that people in Britain still adore their tea. They drink several cups a day. One survey suggested that some people, as many as 20% of people, have up to 10 cups of tea a day. So, so Annabelle, are cafe operators missing a trick by not uh, really capitalizing on our, on our love of tea despite the, you know, the surge in interest in coffee? Yeah, I would say yes. So, um, so I think um, what's happened to many people who love tea, and I do think it's a social occasion for many tea lovers, right? They, they, they're used to drinking it at home, they still do. And traditionally, it, it is something where people came together in tea rooms, etc. So uh, coffee shops, particularly in the UK, but also in many other countries, have um, have missed a trick or are missing a trick, I think, because um, the quality of the tea um, and the way it's being brewed and served um, does not provide the tea experience to the tea lover. It just provides a cup of tea. And compared to everything else on the menu, that is relatively boring, the way it's presented, the way it's conveyed, um, and, and therefore often not chosen. Right? So as tea lover, myself, for example, I usually don't order tea because I know I'm going to be disappointed. Yeah. So therefore, I opt for other things, and you usually get a better cup of coffee than the tea you would get outside. Mm-hmm. So there are lots of things that, and we might move on to that, there are lots of things that people can do, yeah. coffee shop owners, restaurants owners, to um, stimulate mm-hmm. and surprise mm-hmm. and possibly um, offer something to the tea lover, and therefore you know, capture the value that is in tea, because actually the margin is higher than in coffee. Yeah. So, and we definitely will come on to those. But Meg, this perception of value comes in here, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, and I know I love tea, but I never order uh, a tea in, in, a, in a cafe or, or as a takeaway. Um, can you talk a little bit about the perception of value we get from a, a, from a cup of tea in a coffee shop versus, versus the coffee? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's an interesting one because, um, as you mentioned about tea, I think you you kind of save it for a home experience because you know it can't be replicated unless you go to very specific places. And I remember moving to London and a few a few years ago, quite a few years ago now when I was at uni, and kind of feeling the same about specialty coffee. Um, I knew a couple of places where I could go. I could get a V60 Monday to Friday. They would have the staff available to, to, to give me what I, what I wanted, and it would be a real treat, and it would be a, a fantastic experience. If not, I would make it from home. And I think the same can be said for tea right now, but I do think there's so much untapped opportunity with tea, and I think it will catch up. I think places will learn to to offer that value, to offer an experience like they do with coffee, you know, to go either to places like Watch House where you have a full tray, you have a tasting card, you can you know, smell the aroma as soon as you walk into the shop. It's a whole experience and it's, it's a luxury, it's an indulgence. And I think just going back to what you said, Tim, about how people feel about coffee and it's kind of a necessity but also a treat at the same time. You're touching on the question of profitability, but what's in it for the coffee operator? Is there more? Is there good profit by you know elevating your tea offering? I think something that might be interesting is just like to look at what is the percentage of sales of tea with, say, for example, with many coffee establishments. And one of the ones that I'm sort of most familiar with across the specialty coffee industry, if you said that around about two thirds of revenues came from hot beverage sales then often tea sales of that will make up like over 10% of that. So you could say out of a total coffee shop's revenue, something you know approximating around 10% might be from tea. So there's actually a really good base there. Now, 
you can actually um, make quite good money off that 10% of sales because the profit margin on tea is quite good from if you go from the ingredient cost through to the through the to, through the cup or the pot. The issue is also that there's a lot of labor involved. So you need to be able to cover your time. And the other dynamic is that the dwell time, when people come in to drink a cup of tea, they actually stay longer in your shop than someone having a cup of coffee. So they're taking up more space for longer, which actually is a cost. So you need to be able to price in a way that does that that covers those that cost base. But if you can manage all of those factors, you can actually serve quite a profitable tea line, particularly mm. within the context of a broader coffee proposition. Yeah, and it's a there's, it's, there's a good comparison as well. And in fact, it's a you know a well trodden path. You know, twenty or thirty years ago, when we were promoting specialty coffee for the first time, uh, you know, it was a very 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 easy argument to the. Uh, to the coffee shop, you might be paying five pence for your coffee now. Uh, if you um, buy go, trade up to a specialty coffee or a good quality coffee, you, you might have to pay ten pence for that cup of coffee. But you can charge fifty, sixty, seventy pence, eighty pence, more than a pound more, and it's exactly the same for tea now. Um, uh, uh, and there's a, a large part of the tea market, unfortunately, which is cost driven at the moment, and costs and quality are going down. So everybody, the, the main buying criteria for people who are buying tea bags and serving tea bags. In, in in coffee shops and tea shops um, is price, and so you can get a tea bag for a penny, or you know you might pay two or three pence. Just let me finish. Then. Um, so it's a very easy argument. You can you know pay ten pence maybe or fifteen pence for a, a cup of um, artisan tea, specialty tea, loose leaf tea, whatever you want to call it, and charge pounds more. Really, so that that extra profit margin is very, very clear. Annabelle, yeah. yeah, I just wanted to um, say that the race for the bottom in terms of the price of tea is highly unsustainable in terms of what yeah. we are expecting the tea sector to do for the world in the next couple of years on yeah. climate, on nature, on people, and um, and and that is something that I think consumers aren't aware of. We have a fair trade label that doesn't cover anything that's not covering what we want. So I think there is that, and I totally agree with David, that there um, there's a huge opportunity for paying more and charging more and giving more. Mm. You know, there's more in there. There's an opportunity here rather yeah. than being so... But we also need to be really clear. Like, if we're, I'm going to ask consumers to pay more, we have to deliver more to the exactly. consumer. And if you're going to deliver more to the consumer, you're actually asking them to pay something that's more than just the ingredients with a little bit of hot water on it, whether it's tea or coffee. Mm -hmm. You've got to be able to deliver a culture and a vibe and a sense of what it is that you're trying to achieve around this drink. And I think one of the things that works really well, um, you know, like um, I was saying before about like the place that coffee serves, I think when I had a co the coffee business, when we sold Optimism, it was really clear that um, the sales line would just grow and grow. People would come in because they wanted to be optimistic. And I think one of the challenges if you want to continue to grow your tea line is you need to work out what place does this fit within my business are you going to be selling? Um, are you going to be selling if you like time out, or are you going to be able to sell like sort of like a place where people can come and like socialize and connect? And it strikes me that history has this really rich um, tradition of being the social beverage. Like it's made in a pot, it's made collectively, it's made for more than one. And yet, part of the challenge within a coffee shop is that we're so used to trying to make it in single portions. And I'm wondering if you see ways where value can be added to customers in a retail yeah. setting. We're actually making it collectively where people can come and mingle and chat and have a bit of a gossip over a cup of tea. Is that a possibility that you can foresee? Yeah. So I think on the on the value side, and I think we touched on this previously, there, there are lots of things that coffee shop owners, restaurant owners, you know, particularly if you're writing, providing brunch, you have that, you know, people sit for a longer time. 
that they can write. So one was already mentioned, bubble tea, of course, can be on the menu, not that difficult to create. Iced teas, um, flavored teas in the summer, um, matcha, golden milk kind of treats, which have milk in them, froth milk, which much more of it, you know, you can charge more. It's more of a um, closer to coffee experience. And then there's also the idea about giving it in a pot, having a proper display, um, you know, a timer, something that really conveys that proper brewing, um, in addition to the high-quality loose-leaf tea, where you can actually see that. Of course, there's also, maybe we talk a little bit about your kind of interesting you know, technical solutions in this context. Yeah, yeah. well, I mean, one, as a tea drinker myself, one of the obstacles for me to order a tea in a, in a coffee shop is, uh, is the tea bag. <laughs> um, you're handed a cup with a, a tea bag dangling out the side. You don't know what to do with it. It doesn't make a good brew. You're, you're, you're drinking from a cardboard. What innovations can we can we introduce to make this kind of tea delivery a better experience for the consumer? While, while also bearing in mind that there's a workflow issue in terms of how long it takes to brew a cup of tea. Can I just kick that one off and then maybe? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm glad you were, you've mentioned the word innovation because that really is important. And, uh, you know, one of the, uh, one of the main drivers of, of the growth of specialty coffee over the past 30 years has been constant innovation, uh, both from, you know, producers of coffee all the way through the chain to manufacturers of machines such as Vittorio Arduino. Um, and, and that's constantly driven uh, um, improvement. Uh, and we're now seeing a similar sort of thing in tea in terms of, of innovation. So what we were just talking about a minute ago was sort of a, the more o- oriental um, uh, cultural way of, of sharing, uh, uh, you know, brewing, brewing a pot of tea and then using it three or four times and uh, you know, taking a long time over it. But there are now many, many more ways of brewing tea for one person uh, many of them um, derived from coffee, such as the Aeropress makes a great cu- uh, cup of tea. The uh, the machine here that we've just been working on makes a great cup of tea. So there are now that innovation that you've just talked about, so is now coming through in tea. Yeah, Meg, do you want to explain kind of the... Um... Sure. I think it's a very interesting one when it comes to tea, because obviously there is a side of tea that I've been lucky enough to see where it's treated with the same kindness and kind of empathy and poetry that coffee is in that it's it's a ritual right um i mean we have a machine here initially a commercial machine the black eagle maverick with pure brew technology so what that means is the machine is capable of brewing espresso filter tea and filter coffee so loose leaf tea and can be brewed on the machine as well and that's actually transferred to one of our home and commercial model models the prima exp and so people have the capability to brew tea on an espresso machine, which is met with quite a lot of uh, uh, confusion at first. Uh, but we've been brewing here on it um, on it here today, and the results are, as we mentioned earlier, interesting. I think it really takes a few tries to, to get it right, but you can dial it in. You know, you can play with the temperature, and I think something to be said about workflow and what you're able to offer not only in terms of your experience but in terms of your menu offering can obviously be be far optimized with the use of technology Um, our machine is also energy saving so it only uses the water you need to exactly when you need it how does the barista workflow work so like Mm -hmm. someone places an order for a cup of tea Mm -hmm. and what the barista makes that cup of tea in the same workflow as a 
espresso or exactly. flat white, for example. So the only thing you need to do is obviously just switch up the, the water filter. So you, what you have is a, I'm trying for my best to describe it on a podcast, but it's a triangular metal mesh filter, that's a mouthful, uh, which you just pop on the bottom, uh, you put your loose leaf tea in, again, play around with how, how much you think is right, so how many grams you think will work, do some recipe testing, things like that, um, and then just pop it in, um, press go, and you'll wait uh, around a minute and a half, typically, for about 250 grams. Um, and then you do with that what you please. We've done tastings of tea by itself. We've made hibiscus and gin uh, tea cocktails. We've made margaritas. Uh, we've put it in food. <laughs> so there's so many possibilities. And I think over the next year, we would love to do work with you know, chefs, um, people who work with coffee in food and desserts um, to a really high standard tea houses that maybe want to, to focus on coffee as well as tea so I think in terms of your workflow um, and again something I kind of touched on earlier if you would like a, a V60 somewhere from Monday to Friday that's not an option because of staffing and so I think this sort of addresses the same problem when it comes to tea because as we've mentioned I know myself from running a coffee shop if somebody comes in and orders two pots of tea it's ah, a cage sure we're right in the middle of something really busy but i'll make the time to dedicate it to it but are you really you know are your staff members if you're not making yourself really paying attention to the brewing time the weight the taste are they trying the tea you know are they really putting the effort time dedication training care love like i mentioned earlier the poetry that goes into tea is it the same no because they don't have the, the kind of time and the training and that that kind of touches on um, that kind of innovation, that kind of technology is one way to get consumers and baristas excited about tea again, and that seems to me to kind of to be important because if you have everyone excited about tea in the same way they are as coffee, then that's going to benefit everybody, isn't it? And part of that is about um, is obviously about training. I mean, perhaps we could briefly touch on that. Um, I don't know, Tim or, or Annabelle, you know, how a barista is being trained to make tea properly, and, and can they be? <laughs> So um, at Tea Rebellion, we offer the training um, and we do an induction kind of uh, launch setup, which is partially kind of this is how it should brew. also make sure it's written down, but also to make sure there are menus, make sure there's a description of the tea. It doesn't just say tea. It has like the origins, the tea character, the flavor notes, anything that um, induces the tea lover to actually ordering in that place. Um, and a, a display with canisters, etc. So it's partially the training of the barista. That is difficult in the gastronomy environment. As we all know, there's a lot of uh, attrition, a lot of changeover of staff, and so that continuity is not easy. And I think, David, you can talk about the program that, we, uh, that Esther has. Mm, um, yeah, yeah, I'd love um, to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think um, there's only so much that can be done at an ad hoc nature, um, and nature. but I think um, for if you join a tea program by a tea company like Tea Rebellion, you will be provided training. David, maybe okay, way. yes, just a little bit wider than that. So um, uh, we, uh, Esther is now five years old um, and um, fairly early on in our, our life we realised that um, uh, we needed to look at new markets, if you like. And so while still recognising and respecting and supporting uh, older um, cultural parts of, of tea that I've mentioned, so, such as Oriental Brewing, um, such as afternoon tea in the UK and in other parts of Europe, we realised that um, you know there's a newer, younger market which is primarily to be found in the coffee shop, 
And so we sort of introduced the concept of the tea barista, which was really to challenge baristas and um, coffee shop owners to uh, just to become as skillful and knowledgeable and passionate about tea as they are about coffee. And actually, that's quite an easy road to go on because if a barista or a coffee shop owner has all of those um, characteristics already for coffee, it's very easy to just move it along uh, for tea. So we've been doing that ever since, sort of, um, uh, and we've, we're introducing a few tools to do that. First of all, uh, is our training program. We have a, an education program that we're building up. One of the modules on that is, is tea, uh, foundation in tea barista skills. So just moving the barista, taking them from where they are and just moving them a little bit. We're also introducing competitions, just like in, in the coffee world, uh, to test baristas' skills um, in, in making tea. And so we see that as a really important, uh, you know, element of, you know, how coffee and tea can come together in a marketplace uh, and work together and, and benefit one another. Mm-hmm. And just to remind people that perhaps don't know, ESTA is the European Specialty Tea Association. That's thank right, you. isn't it? Thank okay. you. Thank you for that. Too. <laughs> um, yeah. And what about communication? Um, you know, if, if you walk into a cafe, you see messaging everywhere about origin and provenance and, you know, wow, try this one today. Very little which you touched on earlier about tea because it's often left at the bottom of the menu as, as almost like an afterthought. To what extent can you increase demand for your tea or kind of boost your sales in the tea sector um, by simply shouting about your tea offering a bit more? Is it Can it be as simple as that, simple things achieved? I think there's a really obvious thing that coffee shops, if they're going to have a tea program, need to have a really good quality tea program because the way that you win customers is that, say, for example, there's a group of people going out to meet his friends or colleagues going out for an office, they're going to choose the venue that has a full range of drinks because some of them want a coffee and some of them want a tea and some of them might want, say, for example, a soda or something like this. So if you're the coffee shop that can offer all for cater for all of those requirements, you're going to win that group. So having a good, high-quality tea program is absolutely essential for commercial success within a coffee shop as far as I see it. I think... The challenge is that um, you, as an operator, you're going to maximize your revenue. So you need to be able to communicate your full range, and you're going to be able to put the items that make you the essentially the most money or the most popular right up front. And so for tea sales to grow, you want to be able to, I think, have a sense, you want to be able to actually make sure that if you deliver those serves, you're going to make more money, and you're going to make more money per serve than some of the other things. That's an absolutely essential starting point before you start promoting it. And then when you've gone there, having a nice big pricing board with all of the different tea options. And you need to be able to cover all the bases. You just need a couple of good black teas. You're going to need maybe some specialist teas. You're going to need maybe a green tea and then maybe some herbal teas as well. And as well as some of the other different serves that we were talking about before. And that's what kind of, I think, gives um, from an operator's perspective and a customer's perspective the, um, the complete proposition that customers will be drawn to. Because I think yeah. that... Part of the component is that many times in a coffee shop, the environment is too busy for the person behind the counter to actually do a lot of active selling. They're actually responding to their inquiries from the consumer who's walked in. So you need that visual point of sale and merchandise to be able to support that side of it as well. Yeah. Uh, going back to your, your question too of provenance and uh, you know the, the backstory. Uh, you know, just like you know, if you're wherever you're buying, you, you're getting coffee from, you you roast. Uh, um, well, actually, I do. I have a little home roaster. Uh, me, me too, me too. But if you were suddenly a bit, uh, offered um, uh, the, you know, the, the latest uh, geisha from Finca Esmeralda in Panama, 
you would get that and you could charge, you could name your price, probably, couldn't you? It's exactly the same in tea. I'm sure Annabelle could, could supply you now with, you know, several teas. You I've know. already taken her contact details. Okay, so I'm going to fill my cupboard at home. Okay, okay. This is not, this is not just a self friend Annabelle, but it, it's possible to, you know, there are just as many, in fact, there are probably more opportunities for a wow tea. Than there are coffee actually, so yeah, that provenance backstory is really important. Could you me. could you expand on that, Annabelle? Because you're the you've got yeah the yeah yeah sure. So I think there is the um, yeah, as usual with things before you know something about it, it all seems a little bit you know there's just that once you delve in, a whole world emerges, and that's what happens to people who discover tea for themselves. They're really really amazed at the you know there's over thirty countries growing tea. There is lots of different tea varieties. They're all made from one bush, like the botanical tea bush, which is Camellia sinensis. Then we also call tea everything that's herbal, that's made from, you know, shrubs and uh, um, bark and things like that. So, and there's huge price differences depending on time of harvest, uh, variety, the farm, the processing, um, how much you pluck. So a lot of the tea flavor comes from whether you just take the shoot or the shoes in the bud, and you know how much you take. So Darjeeling, for example, classic pluck, I think it's one shoot and two leaves, right? So that makes a premium tea. We have some that are even more premium than that as well. And then there's silver tips, which is just the shoot. So all these things make up tea um, quality. And then the harvesting time as well, spring and fall harvest being the most kind of treasured harvest. So once you delve into tea, a whole lot emerges. And in addition now, we have the origin in terms of the farm's credentials. Is the farm organic? Is the farm rainforest alliance um, certified? Is it OTS? And all this matters. And if you want to become a firm that like that is a company that's a B Corp, you have to show where everything comes from. And the customers really love that if they know, you know, you're fully traceable, etc. Meg, do you want to dive in? Yeah, I think there's something to be said about, um, as you mentioned, different offerings and why they're unique and why they're special and why they're something you've never tried before could be your unique selling point. I think it's about finding your niche. So if you're offering micro lots at six, seven, sometimes eight pounds a cup in a beautiful ceramic in a great environment and you have your tasting card, I think the same can be done with tea and it can be done in so many different ways. And I think it's about finding what you're about. You know, you know your your brand, you know your market. And I think there's a lot to be said about younger generations and older generations and how they consume drinks. So not just tea and coffee, but all types of drinks. And I think the younger generation these days aren't always, um, in maybe in the past year or so, Gen Z, um, sort of millennials, aren't always going for hot beverages. So iced coffees, iced matches, I mentioned earlier, <laughs> bubble tea, and iced tea, same could be said. So I think anywhere that offers a really unique experience, if you're offering micro lots, why are you not doing the same with tea? And right. I think there's a lot to be said about the work that needs to be done to kind of give tea a bit of a glow up and a bit of a, a facelift when it comes to looking at those Gen Z and millennial target audiences. Why are we not doing a, a super crazy, funky iced tea? But it's charging a little bit more because what you're drinking is insert explanation about the origin and the care that's taken and the people that are farming it and this journey and tasting notes and the experience. So I think the same that's already been done for coffee that's popular, especially in, in cities and things, and specialty, could be done for tea, but it's just how we get there. Can yeah. I agree with all of that and just add like the flip other side of that <laughs> argument, which is that 
I think coffee is as its best and has been most successful when it hasn't been too serious. So there's this whole serious side about coffee, which is about like the provenance side and the supply chain and farms and all of these types of things. But actually, the reason why so many coffee shops have had good success is because we've actually been fun. And I think if I was to say like there's sort of like one key thing that maybe um, people who are looking to be tea entrepreneurs could take away from coffee is that tea needs to continue to find its own ways to be fun and dynamic and not necessarily steal just the um, the worthy stuff that sits around coffee, which can actually sometimes be as much baggage as it can be empowering for a certain type of consumer. Otherwise, you just end up with too much of a narrow niche of type of consumer, and it's difficult to be profitable if you're just targeting that type of person. Yeah, that that springs to my mind matcha, which is obviously there's you know it's booming doesn't even begin to quantify, quantify um, the popularity of matcha. And traditionally, obviously, it was made, it's a ceremonial drink, it's made with a whisk. And is there any room for things like that to, to be going on in, in coffee shops? Absolutely. Yeah. And it is in many places. Maybe it's not as big in the UK yet as it is in North America, but it's really quite easy. I mean, if I can learn how to brew matcha, anyone can. Um, I just served it up in Toronto at the tea festival, you know, in front of hundreds of people like it. It's not difficult at all. What's, just, what's involved? I, I, I mean, I've, I've not actually ever seen it done. How do, how do you go about it? You um, have powder. You put a little bit of powder, one to two grams, in a bowl um, with a little bit of hot water around 80 degrees. So you might have to cut it with a little bit of cold water. Um, then you whisk it. It's good to have a basket whisk, but they're not expensive. You can buy them anywhere. There's quality differences, but you can start with a basic one. You whisk it, um, and then you can either add a bit of lemon, make it pure, if you're a purist and you like that really grassy taste, or you can add cold oat milk or cold milk with ice. That's how I drink it, just a little bit. Or you can have it hot, you know, add hot for it. So like it's, there are lots of options around it, and it's a really good boost because you are ingesting the green powder, which yeah. is different to brewing it, obviously, as a leaf. David, are you aware of matcha to kind of taking off in that kind of theatrical way. Uh, absolutely. And, and in fact, matcha pro- in terms of tea, matcha probably uh, leads the way because, you know, many coffee shops are, are already embracing uh, matcha. And it's um, going, going back to Tim's point about fun. You know, matcha can be fun. Uh, and in fact, you know, we've just introduced a matcha latte art uh, competition. Maybe I'll Following the coffee competition. Very, very, you know, similar. But it's good fun. Yeah, it's and, great fun. Um, and, and it's a great product and it's healthy as well. Uh, so yes, we're, we're already there with matcha. Yeah, I, th- I think one big thing about this is here to think if you run a coffee shop or a restaurant or a fast food place where you're brewing, is to think about the, your whole customer base and what the tea lovers amongst them, which is pretty much everyone because everyone drinks tea somehow, would need. What do they want in terms of experience? Because I think this um, brewing the new machines that we were just want to have this great um, asset that you can use loose leaf easily. And that is really what we need in the UK. The UK got really stuck in the teabag uh, problem. Not not other countries in Europe. It's a UK-specific problem, I think. And um, that can help to go into loose, which means that you see the quality, which means that you can easily buy good quality. Um, but there are other things. So if you're a coffee or a restaurant owner, I think it's very much different good to think about from a tea perspective what do your customers want how can you wow them how can you provide something that's really worth for them to order in tea in your place if you don't if you haven't yet invested in in one of the machines that we've been talking about that can brew what in a a minute and a half i think 
Mick said, that, that is the issue. If your customer base is is grabbing it and going, um, how do you deliver a decent cup of tea it, it quickly? What, are there any options apart from handing someone a cardboard cup with a tea bag hanging out of it? So some coffee shops have come to the option of actually asking the customer to wait until it's finished brewing because they want to control the taste of the tea and you don't have that, you know, the customer might take it out too quickly or leave it on too quickly, uh, too long, etc. So you can finish brewing, which makes the customer wait, which isn't great for many places. Mm. Um, of course, it's a sit-down customer, you can have a pot, but there isn't really a, another solution to, 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 a, to a takeaway quick environment. Can you batch moment. make tea? Um, yes, sorry, yes, you can do that. And that's something we recommend in terms of canisters. If you have a really busy time between 8 and 10 and lots of people are ordering breakfast tea, just make a couple of liters and pour it out of a thermos. But then you can't charge a high price for that. That is not something that you should charge three and a half, four pounds for. Again, though, I think an interesting one about that is when we go back to knowing your brand, knowing your customer, your value perception, what your offer is, are they willing to accept that? So, for example, there's so many questions you have to ask yourself when you're running a coffee shop. Are people going to be okay with being charged this amount? Are they going to be okay with the fact that a flat white isn't 8 to 10 ounces because that's not a flat white? Are they going to be okay with the fact we don't do a latte and we don't have syrups and we only have oat milk? And I think when it comes to tea and brewing and taking the time, the same with a filter coffee, it really depends on who's coming into your shop and are they right for you? I look at it almost like a relationship because if you have a customer base and they're coming to you and your offering is maybe you're a small shop, you're staffing, you you don't have 12 people, I would be personally willing to wait and watch somebody do the ritual and the routine of the V60 and the making my tea and measuring everything out. I would be willing to wait five minutes for that experience plus uh, but that's again, that's a personal thing, and I think when we're looking at specialty, it can't be rushed. Can workflow be sped up? Can we be more efficient? Absolutely. But if we're offering something specialty, I think there is a ritual to it, and I think it takes time. So the question for me is, are my customer base prepared, or would they be willing to wait for this product? Yeah, you bang on there because that your question actually was really perceptive, and comes from a collective British. Um, view of tea which is it has to be made quickly so in a way you're asking a question of tea there which we don't ask of coffee you know if it's specialty coffee we expect to wait for it to be made properly if it's specialty tea or good quality tea we should expect to wait to for it to be made properly and get away from the 10 seconds uh, that we <laughs> but all... again perhaps that comes back to communication doesn't it if, if i um, am seeing the messaging and i'm getting the vibe that someone is caring about the tea that they're making me and they're making me a special cup of tea and they're taking their time because uh, not because they can't be bothered but because that's what's involved in making it delicious uh, then I might be prepared but we don't tend to get that messaging that communication do we so that's it's obviously a big important. challenge it's a big challenge for education and communication to uh, uh, to consumers and also as Tim said early on delivering you know, it's it's okay taking your time and uh, attention and um, making everything look nice. But if the end product still isn't any good, then you let your customer down. Am I am I correct in saying I understand is that bitter teas have larger leaves, and larger leaves lead to slower brewing times. So small, small. I think it's the opposite. opposite. Oh, okay, but small cheap tea with a lot of surface area brews very quickly. Yes. and tastes dirty. 
and a bit astringent maybe. Like that would be a lower grade tea, right? So the types of teas that are delicious have larger leaves. Have I got that correct? So the, the teas that grew very quickly have been broken. In, um, they've been produced in the, which is called the cut and curl method, which means that it's harvested in a broken fashion in order to go into tea bags and um, to give it a bigger surface area. Yeah, right, so, so that's the, directly the the market that has been created during the industrial revolution. So you have cheap tea available for everyone, and it was a really important thing at the time. Um, but we've moved on now. We can get much better teas, and um, yeah, the brewing is very different. If you have the leaves, it has less surface area, and therefore needs more time to brew, as we saw, you know. I mean, is that one possibility? Is to is to grind tea leaves more? Uh, maybe a, a an ignorant question, but could we achieve a quicker a quicker turnaround time if we ground tea leaves down a little bit more? Well, that, that that's what we do with tea bags. That's what's but that's happening. Where, that's we're going in the opposite direction, really. We're, right. Okay. Yeah, we're saying for going back to tin, you know, the quality, uh, you. You can get you can get a good quality cup of tea from a tea bag. It's not impossible, but generally speaking, uh, you know the the loose leaf method um, gives you a much much better flavour. Okay. I'm, I'm convinced that part of the reason we are adding the milk is because it's so bitter that it's not enjoyable. Right. So I think we want to go away from this making black teas bitter because mm. a lot of people are like, oh, black tea is bitter. I don't like tea. Yeah. Yeah. No, it doesn't have yeah. to be. It's just that we're stuck in this one way of doing black tea in the UK. Okay. Yeah. And if you overbrew any black tea, you will get that bitterness that yeah. you mentioned. It's just, it happens more quickly with a tea bag because of the surface area. Okay, so we're, we're shortly going to wind up, but I thought it would be useful um, if our tea experts have some suggestions. If you're a cafe really just um, not serving, not paying much attention to your tea offering, what, what might be a good starter pack or a starter base? I'm not talking about specifics, but in general, in terms of tea, if you want to elevate your offering, what would be a simple kind of collection or thing to think about? Is it, you know, half a dozen herbals and, you know, Annabelle, you're you're in this industry got ideas okay so i think um really important to think about where your tea comes from can you is there a brand or a face behind your tea um because that helps you sell your tea and that helps you be confident that it's differentiated and it's good so um think about whether you loose or bag is right for you most people would choose bag because of the workflow and that is okay you can still provide good tea in bag fashion um, think about your signage. Super important. Make sure their price is up. Make sure their origin's up. Make sure um, there's something about describes the tea so that you can resonate with them and choose which one do I want based on the description, whether it's flavors or whether it's character, whether it's you know something that, that appeals. Um, then the brewing, the barista knowing something about how to brew it, um, delivering kind of a tea experience there. Um, and then there are the things where you can um, upgrade in terms of just tea with milk, bubble tea, um, matcha, lattes, um, iced teas in the summer, something additional beyond a black cup type of tea. In terms of tea varieties, I wouldn't go all out. I think there's something about offering, um, keeping the teas fresh. So rather having 10 teas that go stale, um, choose five that are fresh and good. <laughs> you know, a couple of blacks, maybe a green, some herbals. It's important to have really good herbals because a lot of people will choose that, especially in the coffee environment. Yeah, those are my top tips. Okay. And David, did you have any other thoughts? Just a couple of small things to add to what Annabelle said. First of all, it's obvious, but filter your water because water is uh, really, really important. Uh, and also just look at um, the brewing methods that you have and how you can adapt them. So if, as an example, V60 we mentioned a couple of times. It's always a good, very, very simple 
uh, indicator of whether you might get specialty coffee in a coffee shop. If they're serving V60, the chances are they're serving specialty. You can use a V60 or variants from Hario um, to make good good tea um, uh, reasonably easily and fit in with your, your existing uh, system. And not have to invest in anything else yeah. at all. Um, and Tim, I make any final thoughts about levelling up tea and coffee? Perhaps what can coffee learn from tea or any other any other tips? <laughs> Again, I think um, I would reiterate the, the point I made earlier that it's just about finding what works for you. Who, who's your niche? Do you want people to sit down in your shop and stay there for 35 minutes and provide an excellent product where they will talk about it for days and days? Or do you want the Instagrammable lines outside? You do a big marketing campaign on how tea shouldn't be boring and what you're offering is, um, you know, again, people are willing to wait however long for a bubble tea. That's not particularly fast product people are willing to wait for a v60 people want to try the newest micro lot they get quite nerdy about it so what's your offering what do you think you could do with tea to, to kind of shake things up a bit um, and like you mentioned you don't you don't have to go crazy i think it's better to have two or three really great punchy unique exciting teas that you rotate just like you would your coffee um, and yeah, just finding what works for you really, and who you want to who you want to target with your tea journey. Tim, um, many people know me as Coffee Tim, so obviously I have to be a big mm. coffee ambassador. But what people might not know is actually I like tea as well. And I think one of the great things about tea is it actually has a greater breadth of flavour than coffee does, and actually also a more sophisticated depth of flavour. It's actually a little bit more akin to drinking wine, actually, than coffee in many ways. So I actually have a really great range of um, high-quality teas at home in my kitchen cupboard. And when I'm out in a shop and I see them, I'll um, have one in the afternoon. Um, I think there's lots of commercial opportunities for proprietors to, to expand their tea lines. Okay, that's been fascinating. Thank you, everybody. That's um, home, to, home, home to a cup of tea, I think. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.